Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Mrs. McNamara. Um, this is uh, Pat Harriton from Gallagher Benefits, and this is McNamara on Money on WATD FM 95.9 in Marshfield. And uh, Mike is off today, so I'm talking with Jim Boudreau, who's the town administrator in Situate. We spent the first uh, segment of the show just talking about process for the all-important uh, FY20 budget uh, and um, town meeting. And Jim mentioned a couple of things that I want to go back to. One is, um, the first thing he said is making sure that we get the revenues right. And some people sort of don't understand maybe what the, uh, how a city or town gets uh, revenues. So Jim, what are sort of like, obviously I think you know, everyone understands the real estate taxes and talk about that for a minute. Um, but where do the revenues come from in the town and how do we project or predict them? So there's three main revenue streams that we look at as a town. Uh, the first one, obviously, is the property taxes. That's the biggest one in any community. The property taxes is your biggest revenue stream. Uh, next is state A. That's the money we get from the state for everything from schools to it's called unrestricted general government aid, UGA, and that's lottery <laughs> and everything, and that comes in. And then the third one is what we call local receipts. And those are your building permits, your fees, and things like that. Motor vehicle excise is the biggest portion of that one. Uh, and, you know, the, the tax one, um, I don't know how deep you want to get into this, but uh, under Proposition 2.5, mm -hmm. the total amount of taxes that the town brings in a year can go up by 2.5%. 
Right, so that's the one that, uh, as I was driving here today, I thought about, because I was in high school when it passed. 1981. Yes. So there are some people who are taxpayers who, when they hear two and a half or hear two and a half override, which we'll talk about, um, they don't really understand what that means. And I'm sure, Jim, you've had people, I've had people ask me, well, my taxes went up by more than two and a half percent. So... Um, so, and I'll try and explain it, Jim, the way you did. So, in other words, let's say, you know, let's use round numbers because it's early and it's the day before St. Patrick's Day. Let's say you had a... a and people have already started celebrating. Celebrating already, perhaps. <laughs> um, let's say you were a small town and you had, you know, a $10 million um, real estate tax. That was your income or revenue from that. That That is the number that's subject to the 2.5% increase. So, in other words, most cities and towns, there are a few that don't. Most cities and towns, when they do their budget, they take the F, the prior fiscal year and just bump it up two and a half. Right. From there, though, it's not the everything else about your real estate taxes is sort of not even it's vet, it's not even that closely related to that number. It has to do with assessments and then setting of the tax rate. Uh, assessments, right. right. So the tax rate falls out of the budget and the total value of the town. Um, mm-hmm. So the tax rate can actually go down and taxes go up, up. If, if property values go up, uh, go up a, a significant amount. But underneath the property tax, you have your residential taxes, you have your commercial industrial taxes. In situate, the residential tax make up about 95% of the total tax take because we don't have a whole lot of business. We don't have much industry. Uh, but if the value of businesses go up, then the burden on residents go down and vice versa. Uh, in some years, ranches will be a hot commodity. They'll go up and <laughs> other you know, other properties will go down. So the two and a half, as you said, only applies to the total tax take of the community. It does not have anything to do with what your taxes go up individually. Right. So, um, so individually, um, and again, this is where people that look at, you know, if they're looking for places to live, sometimes get a little... Um, confused by tax rates. Because to Jim's point, the tax rates in the South Shore, especially um, towns like uh, Cohasset, Norwell, Situate, their tax rates may be higher than um, like Hanover or someone else's from a pure dollars per thousand, simply because the other city or town has more commercial to offset the total. Um, and you'll see that in, um, you know, obviously the urban cities, the tax rate is very low. And to be honest with you, the tax rate, I look at the tax rate is actually a plug number anyway, because you take the total two and a half percent above the total valuation and divide. The tax and, rate falls off the bottom end. Right. And, but, but it is, uh, because we're in Massachusetts, it's, it's still subject to a hearing. The selectmen have to set the tax rate. They hear from the assessors. They hear from other experts about what that tax rate should be. And every year, at least in Norwell, or a couple, every couple of years, perhaps, um, we look at doing a separate tax rate for yeah, commercial. It's like we actually don't set the tax rate. They set oh. the tax split. Split, okay. Between commercial and residential. And again, the tax rate is just uh, the plug falls number. out of that. So if you shift a burden from residential to commercial, that would change the tax rate. Okay. Um, but situate, most towns on the South Shore have a single rate. They charge commercial and residential at the same rate. The same thing. Yeah. Um, so that's the biggest. So obviously, you know, that's where the majority, and that's, um, uh, I don't want to say it's unrestricted, but that money um, funds the town budget. We don't have to, there's not a specific area where we have to allocate that. Correct. Then you, the, the whole pot that's available to spend. Right, it goes in. So then the other one, and you mentioned it too, and this one I find fascinating because it does ebb and flow a little bit more than the real estate is the car excise. Right. So most people 
uh, the, the, and again, you can really see the impact of two and a half here, proposition two and a half, because the tax rate is $25 per thousand of yeah. valuation, which is two and a half percent. Um, so, um, so what, what impacts how much money, and it, I think most people know if they lived in Massachusetts for a long time, every, you should have just gotten them probably, right? <laughs> they go out in February, yeah. Yeah, because they're for the calendar year, um, which is, they're for the calendar year, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you pay uh, twenty five dollars for the, and again the the car value, the valuation of your car is based on some mathematical database. It's not, hey, your car is worth right. we more. We don't set it in the town <laughs> level; it's set someplace else. Yeah, so you'll get a bill, um, and you have to pay it, and that's your um, car excise tax. And the other thing that people don't know, uh, which is actually good for the town, is if you get rid of your car midway through the year, you can file for an abatement, which yep. a lot of people don't do, and that leaves the money in the the city or towns, they, they we budget for it as a city or town, but a lot of people don't apply for those abatements. That's a whole nother topic. But anyway, so I found fascinating in doing this work in the, probably about 10 years ago that the economy affects your car excise revenue. <laughs> it's huge. Not as much as it used to, uh, Pat, because yeah. we see a lot more um, lease. leases. Yeah. <laughs> so the leases, people are turning those over, so they, they tend to have cars um, that are newer and, and more valuable. But, you know, as the economy starts to go or starts to soften, people don't buy new cars. They drive mm-hmm. their car for another year or two. Those values go down. So you know, we go back probably 10 years of trending looking at motor vehicle excise, and then we discount that to make sure that we are being on the very conservative, conservative. side of something uh, something doesn't come in. But, the, you know, the economy has an impact on everything we do in the local receipts, the building uh, building these, permits, right? inspections for restaurants, all that stuff. Everything that we do on that side is subject really to the economy and, and we got to keep a close eye on it. That's why we go back and we trend so far back and we watch those trends and then we still discount and say we need to be conservative. We don't know you know, I can't look ahead two years. If I could, I'd be in the stock market. You'd be doing something else. Yeah, <laughs> making a lot of money in the stock market. So we, we try to be very conservative because you never want to have to come back mid-year and cut budgets right. because you were too rosy in your revenue projections. Right. So so from a revenue, city or town, real estate taxes, local receipts. Um, I'll go back to local receipts in a second. Um, and then there's this thing that people sometimes get confused on, too, because it looks lower than people think it is, but they don't understand what it is. So new growth. Yeah. So uh, explain what new growth is on the tax side of things, on the revenue so, side. So new growth is basically value that comes in after the assessors are done setting their taxes and everything like that before the start of the new fiscal year. So someone puts an addition on the house that wasn't captured, that's new growth. Someone starts building a house, that's new growth. So it's really things that come in during the fiscal year after we've set the tax rate. Uh, and then that gets added onto the top of two and a half when you start the next year. So that, again, that's a projection. You go back, the assessor spent a lot of time looking at building permits, looking at what's been approved by the planning board and trying to develop a number that is conservative, but still represents close to what we think we're going to get. And the number that shows up isn't the value of the addition or the new house. It's the value of the tax revenue Correct. from that. That's where people get, I think, a little confused. Right. Like I'm looking at Norwell's for last year was 250. You know, that's a... That's a house, but they don't realize that it's the tax. The tax impact. We're looking at the revenue. Addition, because part of that house would have already been taxed, or right. we're only going to catch a part of that going forward, and then the rest of it will come in on the next year. Right. And, you know, the average, what, what I tell people to look at is if you're looking between all the towns, look at the average tax bill, you right. know, the total dollars, not right. the rate. Cause right. it, the, the two things you want to look at is the average house value and the average tax bill. Right. 
Um, so um, we'll go back to local receipts and then I'll do state aid. So local receipts, um, car excise is a big one, but also the legislature in the last few years has given uh, cities and towns some other options like restaurant tax and hotel and now rentals. Rentals will probably be a, a good one for a situate. What do you guys, uh, what do you, what have you taken advantage of under the other, the newer taxes, I guess? Uh, we do do the meals tax. Okay. Uh, and we have the hotel rental tax on the warrant for this town meeting. Okay. So the, the rental tax, they, they call it the Airbnb taxes, two portions of that. Uh, anybody with an Airbnb that meets the requirements, which is more than two weeks of rental, I think, and some other, uh, some other requirements will be required to register with the state. And then if we adopt the tax, the state collects that money and sends it back to us. There's also a community impact fee that can be assessed uh, where the community would assess a tax on top of that that would have to be collected by the individual community. So we are not proposing that at this point, just the imposition of the 6% room tax. Got it. And that's important, uh, what Jim said. So some things that the legislature passes are what we call local option. You can, the town would have to vote to adopt it. Others that get taxed, like a, obviously a sales tax increase would be statewide, but certain taxes that gives like uh, cannabis and some of the other things. I'll ask you about that one in a minute, Jim. <laughs> but some of the other ones are, um, are uh, local options or subject to local uh, rule. One of the ones that um, it's related to real estate taxes and subject to local rule is the, and this is another one where people I think get confused in the budget process, is um, community preservation, right. CPA. So uh, does Situate participate at what level and sort of give people an understanding of how that works at a high level? So Situate does participate and we're at 3%, which is the max allowed. So the, C the Community Preservation Act is an addition to your taxes that people voted. Mm -hmm. It went to a ballot, goes to town meeting, goes to a ballot. That money can be used for, and I'll probably get this wrong, Pat, so help me out. Yep. Uh, affordable housing, yep. conservation, yep. recreation, and historic preservation. preservation. Yep. All right, and that has to go through a whole process with the Community Preservation Committee. Mm -hmm. They're the only ones who can vote to put spending for mm -hmm. CPA money on the warrant. Um, that's really kind of unique. Uh, that if they say no, it doesn't go forward. They just they can kill it at their level. Um, and then the state reimburses cities and towns a portion of that. Uh, when you first get in at a 3% level, you were reimbursed at 100%. As more communities come in, it's dropped down. I think this year it was 19%. Wow. Uh, which is still, if you put your money in the bank, you're getting 2%. If you do it this <laughs> way, you're getting 19 It's still a pretty good return on investment. Uh, but, you know, in Situ, we have a lot of historic property um, mm -hmm. that we probably wouldn't be able to really maintain and upkeep the way we need to without the community preservation. We've bought a lot of open space. Uh, we've done, uh, we have some money tied up in affordable housing. We have a project that is in the planning stages now. The town has authorized over a million dollars to help fund uh, for affordable housing for seniors. And at the town meeting in April, we have a large field project at the high school which about uh, a little over $8 million of which will be covered by community preservation funds. Hmm. Um, so that's the other thing. So so s people that look at their real estate tax bill, the CP, the community preservation amount is separated out. Um, but when you, and they look at, they may, in the warrant, they may see the fund balance there. Yep. The important thing to remember for people is the money's there, but it can't be used for operating costs. There are rules, like you said, Jim, and also a, a whole different committee that... Um, is in charge of that fund, basically. 
Right. And you can use it for their administrative costs. Right. So you can put a small portion of aside to cover the cost of their administration, their secretaries, things like that. Uh, but you can't use it to fund the police department. You can't use right. it to fund the schools. You can't use it to fund anything that doesn't meet their criteria. And then, again, they have to approve it. Right. And, and the town meeting. And the to town meeting it. has to approve it also. Right. Right. And in Norwell, when you were there, I think we used it on, well, we used it on a, a former school building, Sparrow. Right. Um, what else? What else? Uh, the, the, we didn't do the whiting fields. Uh, the whiting fields are up now. Up they, now. they just actually bought those. They didn't buy them when I was there. They bought them afterwards. The Sparrow School, which is a school administration building, that was eligible because it was a historic, historic. structure. Right. Uh, we used a portion of it for the Clipper Community Complex. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. you know, oh, and uh, Cushing Center. Cushing Center. Uh, we did some money in the Grange. So we've used it on a lot. Of, so we've purchased a lot of property. Uh, the path walk between... Uh, the high school that goes all the way down to Forest Street by the oh, yeah. middle school, that was all CPC money. That's a, a tremendously popular pathway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's been spread all over town. Uh, mm-hmm. They've done a lot of different things. And now the project at um, the old police station is affordable right. housing, and that's CPC too. So right. uh, it does do a lot of good projects that <clears throat> in a lot of communities wouldn't otherwise be funded. Right. And it's a similar process, um, again, different times of the year, depending on what... And obviously, it, we're talking about situate normal because we're familiar with them. Some communities in the social haven't done this, but others have. But if you do if you do have it and you want an input, you that's a that's most of the time it's a citizen's request for a project like our I know in Norwell our CPC our committee sends out something we're going to be accepting proposals they're vetted by the committee you go you make a presentation and usually they're around like open, purchasing open space like the the whiting fields that we mentioned are a, a set of uh, fields in the close to the center of town um, or it could be put in um, you know by the selectmen or I'd like to to it's not to maintain that's the problem it's not to like maintain buildings it's to restore um, so there still has to be that component and there used to be this um, debate about whether we could use them for athletic fields or not especially the turf I actually changed the law on that the original CPC you couldn't redo an athletic field that had already been constructed it was for new New. construction and I think cities and towns went to the state and said hey look we don't have property to build new (laughs) new facilities we need to maintain the old ones so there was a compromise really made that said all right you can redo existing athletic fields but you can't use CPC money to purchase turf right you can do everything else to construct the turf field, but, but you not can't the turf. purchase the turf. So the situate plan uh, is turf, so the CPC mm. will cover the lion's share of that project, and then the town's general fund through borrowing. Obviously, we're not going to um, appropriate that kind of money, but we will <laughs> borrow the rest to pay for the turf. And the same in Noel, but I think Noel, actually, the turf was raised, the money was raised right. on the turf. And that's what they're trying to do that in other communities as well. Um, so uh, we're still talking about, this is talking about FY20 budget, just where cities and towns get money. Obviously, we talked about real estate taxes being the main one, local receipts, you know, car excise, um, taxes, meals, and all that. Um, and then, Jim, you mentioned state aid. Yep. Um, and uh, one of the challenges that we used to have that I don't think we have that much anymore is the state budget process is uh, usually culminates on uh, midnight on June 30th, usually. But they've made commitments, at least in the last few budgets that I've looked at, is, um, I forget what section it is, but it, the, the one that has all the local aid numbers. Section 3. Section 3. Those numbers, usually after the first, you know, uh, for people that don't know, it's a very archaic process, but governor submits a budget, house submits a budget, 
Senate submits a budget, and then they all figure it out at the end into one budget. Right. Senate, House, and reconcile, send that to the governor. Right. And in that, so after, usually after the first or second go around, that those numbers don't change. Or they make a commitment not to change those numbers because cities and towns have to do town meetings and they need that number. Right. And in that number is the um, state aid. And what's been sort of the trend, and that, that money, as you said, comes from state government lottery and all that. What's been the trend with state aid, and how much of that is a percent of your total budget? Uh, it's been going up. Again, that's really entirely dependent upon the economy and what's going on <laughs> in the state budget. So the governor's budget comes out in January. Yep. And he'll file, it's called House One, and that's the budget that he recommends for the fiscal year. Uh, in most circumstances, particularly where our town meetings in April in <laughs> situate, we then look at the governor's number and say, okay, that's the number we're going to use for planning purposes for uh, our budget process. Um, the Senate and the House and the, the 23, 24 years I've been doing this are almost always higher than that. Not always. Uh, Romney's first budget, um, he came out with a local aid figure. The economy was in free fall in 2008. <laughs> he submitted his budget. The legislator said, don't use it. We're going to cut that budget. We don't have the money. We're not going to make the changes he wants. But generally, the governor's budget is going to be the lowest number that you're going to use. So it's a good number to start with. Mm -hmm. uh, in the past, the House and Senate have done what's called a local aid resolution. Well, they will agree on what that local aid number is going to be. Uh, and lock that in for cities and towns so we have a number to use. If we get that, we can use that number. Uh, but generally, you use the governor's number. It's going to be the lowest. It's going to be the most conservative. And then you go forward. And after the House and Senate are done, after the budget's done, if you get more, you can either reconcile your budgets later. Uh, you can leave it, and at the end of the year, it'll be surplus. Or in situ, we actually have an article on town meeting that if we get extra funds, it goes in automatically into our stabilization fund, into our savings account. So, But the governor's number comes out in January. We in situ, based on what our town meeting is, we can't wait for the House. The House hasn't right. even done a budget yet, and our town meeting's in a, less than a month. And then the Senate's mm -hmm. not going to get to their budget probably till May at this point. Uh, so you usually use the governor's number, and again, his are going to be the lowest. Uh, and it's all economy-driven. The governor has... Uh, made a commitment to cities and towns that local aid will go up by the same percentage that the state budget goes up. Uh, so you get an idea actually in December when they set the revenue figures for the state. Uh, they have a committee that meets and looks at the revenue figures and they say, okay, state government spending mm -hmm. could grow 2.5%. So we get an idea that local aid is going to go up 2.5%. Got it. And um, this one I don't know. It's a popular topic now that pothole season is here. Um, what we used to call Chapter 90 money or the roads, is that part of this or is that a separate, separate. allocation? That's a separate allocation. That's based upon your road miles and the gas tax and, and things like that. And the state, the state does $200 million annually. We've been pushing for $300 million annually. Um, because That's statewide, obviously. Statewide, right. yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the... Uh, uh, you know, that number hasn't gone up in I don't know how long, uh, <laughs> but the cost of, of doing roads goes up every year. So, um, you know, this year looks like it's it's going to be a bad pothole year. We got a, enough <laughs> snow. It's melting now, uh, getting cold <laughs> at night. So when you get the melt, the freeze, the melt, the freeze, uh, that's what really causes the pothole. So um, drive through any town on the South Shore now and, and you're starting to see the potholes and the hot boxes out pretty much all day, every day, patching, and, and we're getting ready to, to get into paving season, and, and we'll start actually paving some of those roads.
Um, and just tr- finishing up on just revenues, um, we'll talk about expenses obviously after, but um, another item that comes up on the budget, it's called different things, but um, it's confusing for a lot of people, um, is this word overlay. Because <laughs> that, that really doesn't tell you what it is, but the number is always there. So as best you can, Jim, explain how the overlay or surplus works. Okay, so there's overlay and overlay surplus. Right. And mm-hmm. the overlay is the amount of money that's set aside for the assessors to do uh, abatements for people on their property taxes. Mm-hmm. So if you think your house is over-assessed and you're paying too much in taxes, there's a process you have to go through with the assessor's office where you come in and make a case for them, and if they agree with you, you get an abatement on your taxes. The overlay pays you the difference and covers what we're supposed to get. Okay, so we're expecting so much, we're not gonna get that now, so it covers it. Um, And then after the year's closed out, if there's money left in that account, the assessors can then make that available and say, all right, we have four pending cases at $100, there's $300 left in the account, I'm just, you know, obviously we're talking hundreds of thousands, thousands of dollars, but just for for the process, the assessors can say, all right, we will make 150 available as surplus, and then, then the town meeting can vote to approve that and spend it on, usually we use that on a capital project. We try not to use that on the operating budgets. Because you don't expect it to recur. You don't expect it to recur, yeah, right. that's right. You try to build your budget on recurring revenues, not on non-recurring revenues. So for example, I'm just looking at Norwell's last year. Um, the, the the reason people get confused is it's in the revenue line, but as a minus. So it's, we're using, in this case, in FY19, there was um, $300,000 coming out of the revenues to be put into- To be put into overlay, right. To use that, and then as Jim mentioned, after the fiscal year ends or whatever the timing is to file a, an abatement. Um, you know, and people did do that when they, now, you know, now the house prices are, <laughs> and again, the, the assessment is if you read your tax bill, it's as of a certain date, it's not what it's worth today or, right. and, and no one comes in saying my house is worth more, tax me more, right? No one's done that. <laughs> um, and then the other term um, that I wanted to cover before the break is, because this is a, you thought overlay was a misnomer. Yeah, I, did, I, just, uh, I did have a selectman once who oh. came in complaining about his uh, excise taxes. Oh. And one cow was very much more expensive than the other cow. It didn't make any sense. And I told him, I said, look, just, it's not just leave it alone, you know. And he went to the assessor's office and he came back and I said, what happened? He goes, so they raised the assessment on the other cow. Right. So yeah, d- yeah. so most people don't come in and complain about that stuff. Right, well, the first question you ask, I mean, when someone comes to me and says, you know, my taxes are too high, I ask, you know, what's your house assessed at? And they'll tell me, I'll say, well, you sell it for that. And the answer usually no, is no. No, it's worth yeah. more. <laughs> you know, okay, then, then. <laughs> yeah, assessments typically are the, on, even the online stuff that people look at now are usually lower than what the market is. Yeah, it, they, it lags behind the There's market. a lag anyway because yeah. the assessors, um, can't get out and look at every house every year. Right, and they use sales data as part of that also. Right. Um, so the last term, uh, Jim, that's thrown out a lot is uh, free cash. Free cash, now the free no cash. Correct. And what is it? <laughs> oh, how to explain free cash. So, you know, we set a budget, we set a revenue projection. Uh, we go through the year, at the end of the year, we close out the books, we've spent X, we've brought in Y, if the amount of money we've brought in exceeds the amount of money we've spent, then that basically is what is our free cash. It's, I don't wanna use the term profit, but it's basically the amount of money the town brings over and above what they've spent in a fiscal year. 
Right. So in other words, um, even though we may be conservative in the revenue numbers, if we're conservative the other way in the expense numbers, we, we always want to be in a you always want to be in a surplus. You always want to have right. free cash. You don't want it to be too much. Um, but the problem with the free cash, the way the process works, if I remember it right, is where if we're in FY19, by the time that gets closed out, free cash is certified by the state. We can't use it in FY20. We have to use it in 21. Is that still Unless you have a special town meeting. Okay. So usually your free cash will be certified, you know, this... The summertime is a very busy time for town <laughs> finances because for the month of July, you're spending... The fiscal year 20, you're right. also going to be spending fiscal year 19 as you close all your books. You close all your books, you have your auditors come in, the state comes in, uh, you get everything closed out, and then you get your free cash number, usually in September and October. If you then have a town meeting, you can expend those funds, but generally you don't want to use those uh, during the fiscal year. You want to wait and use them in the next fiscal year. And again, free cash, savings, capital, you do not want to base your budget on free cash. And as you said, Pat, the budget is designed to finish in the black. It is not right. designed to finish in the red. Uh, that would be a bad thing. So Don't want that. We, you know, we try to be very conservative. We tell department heads to be conservative with their spending um, and try to get to the end of the year and, and be in the black. And all of the items, so all the items on the revenue side, the, you know, the taxes, the um, state aid, the local receipts, the overlay, the free cash, any, anything you could use in the upcoming budget, you said you guys have a revenue committee that looks at all those things. Right. We have a, a financial forecast committee. Financial forecast. So they're the ones that are looking at trends. They're looking at, obviously, the real estate. You know, we're in a different market now than we were, obviously, 10 years ago. They're looking at the car excise that we talked about, how the economy. So they still have to make a projection based on what they think they know. And also right. the new growth. Like, if there's a new development that's finishing that's now going to be occupied and taxed or um, some of these, you know, they, they could anticipate, although I don't know how much, if it would be a lot, like if you adopt this rental tax, there's probably a portion of that that they Yeah, actually we have not factored that in factored at all until, in. Our, until our figures for next year. Right, so that's being conservative, saying, hey, if it doesn't pass, I don't want to have it in my Right, if it budget. comes in, then, then we're in good shape. Right, so you're good. All right, so after the break, we're going to talk about capital and expenses now that we've exhausted hopefully everyone knows where cities and towns get their money it's not magic it's it's done it's not done in secret it's done in the open and it's fairly i don't want to say it's straightforward because it is a little confusing but it's fairly straightforward into there's only a finite number of ways a city or town can get um get revenue or get money unlike as jim said a, a typical business so we'll talk about expenses after the break. 